Hoosier United Methodist Podcast, Episode 13, with Reverend Glenn Howe from the Zionsville United Methodist Church. But I do think that it's the nuts and bolts. I do think it's probably, okay, so we have this vision, so what are the three things that we want to do with this vision? Who's going to do them, and where where's that person going to have their support in the system? This is Reverend Darren Cushman-Wood of North United Methodist Church, and you've been listening to the Hoosier United Methodist Podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. Welcome to the Hoosier United Methodist Podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. Brad believes that a strong connection in the United Methodist Church is essential to achieving the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. The Hoosier United Methodist Podcast will help you and your church connect with key insights, hear inspiring stories, and learn from successful pastors and people making a difference in United Methodist Churches in Indiana. And now, here's Brad. Hi again, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Hoosier United Methodist Podcast. I am Dr. Brad Miller, your host, and thank you for joining us in this special episode today. We're talking about leadership in the local church, and our guest today is Reverend Glenn Howell, who is the pastor of the Zionsville United Methodist Church. He has spent time as a district superintendent and pastored a new church start called The Turning Point in Evansville, and for the last few years has been the senior pastor at the Zionsville United Methodist Church. He talks today in our podcast about leadership development and about succession in leadership, about developing leaders and developing a process by which great leaders can be succeeded by more great leaders and mentoring and nurture can take place. He also talks to us a little bit about how management is very important in ministry. It takes more than vision to make an effective ministry. It takes management, the nuts and bolts to make things happen. And then he goes on to talk to us a little bit about his thoughts about the mission of, of the church and how we're doing in terms of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. The Hoosier United Methodist Podcast is all about strengthening the, the connection in the United Methodist Church in the state of Indiana. And Glenn Howell is our guest today. Let's get to the interview. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Hoosier United Methodist Podcast. This is Brad Miller, and uh, today it's our special privilege to have with us... uh, Reverend Glenn Howe, the senior pastor of the Zionsville United Methodist Church. Glenn, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks. Absolutely. Absolutely. Glenn and I go back uh, some time. We've been involved with ministry in Evansville area, Indianapolis area, and some church planning activities we've both been involved in and uh, share a lot of good playing golf even, and uh, where he usually beats me bad, but uh, we have a lot of, a lot of fun together. But uh, hey, Glenn, uh, tell us a little bit where you're at, where you serve, and kind of how you got to where you're at here in Zionsville. Well, I was, uh, tell everybody I was born in Michigan, but lived my whole life all around Indiana. And uh, when I finished my undergraduate work, I was in the South Indiana Conference, and I was just attending a church there. I didn't think at the time about what conference I wanted to be in. I actually finished my high school in northern Indiana. 
So I just went to a church, and as I went through the process of going into ministry, I just happened to be in the South Conference, the old South Conference. So um, I have served um, a lot of uh, small churches. I had three churches that I served while I was going to seminary, and then I had a two-point charge for six years when I graduated seminary. And then I went to Evansville, Indiana, to start a new congregation, and I was there for 13 years. And then I served as a superintendent uh, for five and a half years, and then I was appointed to Zionsville, which is a a suburb on the northwest corner of Indianapolis. And you've been here for five or so years. And uh, so tell us a little bit of what's going on here at Zionsville. What are some cool things? What's God doing here at, at Zionsville that you've been involved with? Well, Zionsville's a, a, a great place. It, it's a, it's a, the church is very, uh, the word I use for it is kind of corporate. In other words, there's a lot of education in the community. The schools are highly valued in the community. So a, kind of a, a, an, an educated congregation and a, and a very talented congregation. So I think a lot of it is just sort of keeping up with uh, people's abilities here. Um, we, we have several pockets in this church that are just terrific. We have a men's ministry that uh, just functions completely. Um, I don't know that I want to say on its own, but it needs very little caretaking and tending. It just has several very gifted people, and they uh, they create their own succession of people who come up through it instead of waiting for us to decide who the next leader is going to be. So every couple of years, they have a new leader, and that person's been in process. And so the men's ministry is very, uh, very, very strong. Um, we have uh, we're probably known for having the best preschool uh, in this community. Um, it's very very strong, very well thought of. Probably if you went into downtown Zionsville, and I say downtown, that there it's not a big downtown in Zionsville. But if you ask somebody about our church. Uh, probably the thing that they might know about us would be that's where that preschool is. So that is also a very uh, excellent place. So we we actually have a half a dozen things like that that are really um, well done and well led, and they just don't need a lot of... um, you know, they're just lay people living out their discipleship, and what they just need is a little bit of encouragement and for you to come along and, and you know, show up. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds like the leadership development of these already gifted leaders has been a important part of what's going on here. Well, it is, and I think for us, a part of our of, of the work that we have to do is how do we get how do we do that in the rest of the church? You mm-hmm. know, the 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 model that most of us grew up with is we come to a church and we wait, and in the fall we get the nominating committee together, and the committee decides who's going to do this and who's going to do that. Right. And, and I think you can still use that that model, um, but I think that. Um, you know, what we see is um, everywhere we have uh, groups that identify early on who where succession might happen. Um, those groups, you know, they tend to be very strong and they tend to be, um, you know, the continuity is excellent and they tend to teach themselves what they need to know down the road. And so we, um, I, I think the work for us is, in all the rest of the life of the church where we need leaders, how are, how are we creating this pipeline where uh, people who are leading are mentoring people who are coming up? So that, in a sense, when you, you know, if you can do that enough, then it takes a lot of work away from the, 
bureaucracy of the church trying to look around and decide who's going to be. Do you have any kind of a structure or a, a process that you use in this, or is it just going to come naturally depending on the parties involved? Yeah, I'd like to say we have a structure, but mostly it comes pretty naturally on the part of the parties involved. Okay. So you've got some talented people then. That's great who are interjecting yeah. their life into their selves into the life of the church, bringing their whatever experiences they bring in the corporate world or educational world to bear in the church. Yes. Well, what do you think are some of the inter- some of the intersections from from the church world and the corporate world and business community? What are some uh, identifiable uh, learning points that we can take in the church that can really be helpful to us in expanding our effectiveness in our local churches? Well, you know, one thing I've noticed here uh, in this congregation is that, and I think this comes from, I've not, I've not worked in the corporate world. I mean, we all know a lot of people in that world, but, mm-hmm. uh, but I, my sense is that uh, they want to do what works. So at least in this church, they're not nearly as tied to, well, we've always done it this way or we have this certain model. Because because where they work, they're just trying to get results. Mm-hmm. And so if we have to change something to get a result, um, it's it's more just in their mindset that changes are, are more acceptable because we just need to do whatever we need to do to get to where we need to be. And so I think... Um, so the bottom line is very important in their, in their thinking. It, it is. It's bottom line thinking, but it's also a kind of flexibility that sometimes I've not had in other churches that I've been in. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think... And I think people... Um, you know, the other side of that is that when this is a fairly large congregation, and when you get a fairly large congregation, they really count on the people leading the church. And by that, I just mean staff people or people like me to sort of um, actively... Um, you know, th- think these things through for the future to to make these changes. I mean, a lot of these people are busy. They're interested, but they don't. You know, they don't. They don't always have the time. You know, to mm-hmm. do a lot of these things. So I think they're much more in the in the spirit of well, we have a leader, we have a few leaders, and if they'll tell us something to do, well, we'll try it. So you see the uh, vision casting and perhaps even kind of a CEO type of role being uh, one way of looking at this. Well. Yes, a little bit. I, I I think that's right. I think I think first of all, there people here are probably more used to that whole model, right? Mm-hmm. They're more used to things like, um, you know, who leads. Um, we have very talented people, but they they don't want to run the church. Uh, they just want to know good people are leading the church. Right. Um, and and I do think we do talk more in church like this than many churches about what is the. What is the um, organizational development of the church? Or, for instance, just yesterday I was reviewing uh, a process that we're going to use to talk about performance management. Now, that's an HR term, right? But how do we, when you have people in your church, how do you, uh, what are the, how do you create the goals for them? How do you follow up? How often do you do supervision? How do you do evaluations? How do you tie that to compensation if possible? So those are things that would be thought about here because that's what they think about that a lot in their lives. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Sure. It seemed like there's learning points that we could use. Not You're not only using it in your church, but they could be applied in other places to help a church run more effectively and efficiently. Uh, yes, I'm, I don't think there's any question about that. I think that um, just I, the word I would use is, is, is management more than anything else. Mm-hmm. I think we talk a lot about vision. 
we love the word vision in the church. Right. Um, we uh, we love to create visions, and then we just kind of live with them for a little while, and they don't exactly work. And so we like to go create another vision. Right. And we we just we I think partly it's the part implementation of, piece is not always there, is it? right? And I think pastors, uh, as a general rule, uh, pastors like that world of thinking uh, at a higher level, you know. Um, but I do think that it's the nuts and bolts. I do think it's probably, okay, so we have this vision, so what are the three things that we want to do with this vision? And who's going to do them? And um, where where's that person going to have their support in the system? And those are things that we are not strong on. And if they're not going well, uh, you know, I've been in the church my whole life. We, if somebody's not doing well, we kind of don't know exactly what to do with that, right? We don't coach well. We don't. Um, Sometimes we don't push through the problems either. We want to try well, no. to exercise the problem. We don't. We don't handle the conflict well. Now, you, and I, conflict's not exactly the right word, but it. You know, somebody's undertaking to do something. They have a responsibility to do something. It's not getting done. Well, who's going to? You know, who's? How do we follow up with that? How do we? How do we say, hey, how can we be helpful? Or, you know, what is it that you need that, that we're not providing? And so I just think that whole idea of how we get from the vision to the result is probably uh, uh, not as well thought out or or acted on in almost any church that I've been in. And I think uh, there's a, the possibilities are a little stronger here than they have been in most places mm-hmm. that I have been. Well, speaking of uh, vision and mission and trying to put that in some sort of a tangible means to implement it, we have, we've said in our denomination and, our, and certainly here in our own conference that our, uh, our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. <laughs> it's a varying degree. Some people think we're doing well at that. Some people think we're not doing well at that. What's your take? How are you doing here in Zionsville about that question? And then a little differently after that, how are we doing in churches in Indiana on that question? Yeah, well, that's a great question. Um, everybody measures what discipleship is a little bit differently. Yeah, and so yeah, for, absolutely. for that very reason, it, it's hard to it's say. It's a loaded question. It's own right, but that is what we've said is our mission, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. If, if it is our mission, then I think it bears uh, uh, review how we doing. Yeah. I think on the I think on the this the sense of how are we bringing a lot of new people who right. are uh, not following the way of Christ into discipleship. Um, I, I think that probably in Zionsville, and my sense would be, and at large. Probably we're marginal. Um, I think it's very hard for us still. I think the mindset for most of us is still um, we're an institution and people were part of our institution. And, you know, we sort of knew what to do when they were with us. But I think we struggle with how do we connect with people who are really outside of us. And I think that that gap between inside and outside is growing wider all the time. I don't think it's I don't think it's because we're changing, but I think the world outside is increasingly uh, secular, increasingly offering more options right. to think about things in other ways. So I don't think we're as strong there, but I do feel like that there is a a kind of renewed um, um, sense of what does Christianity mean? For me, for a lot of people, at least in this church, I think there's a there's a hunger for meaning. Uh, there's a hunger for 
understanding uh, how do the scriptures relate to the life that I live. Um, there's a hunger for um, spirituality, for lack of a better word, spiritual disciplines. I mean, I think people want to understand how to pray. Um, they want they want to try to be better stewards of the things that God has given them. And I really think that sort of underneath all of that is this hunger for uh, relatedness or connection or relationships with other people. Uh, because I think when you're really trying to more and more the Christian life feels somewhat uh, separate from the life of the world that we live in. And I think people need support in that journey. So I think here at Zionsville, I think I feel like uh, we're showing some good uh, some good gains in people's lives. Uh, I think people are getting deeper and stronger and more interrelated. Um, we have a, a have had had a lot of people into our small group life over the years. So I see all that as a positive. I think, uh, as I said earlier, I think in terms of how many new people are we attracting. I don't, I don't know that we're, uh, I don't know that we're doing a great job with that. And I don't think in Indiana or in America we're particularly strong with that. That doesn't mean we don't have outliers and incredible churches, right? You know. And I think some of it, too, and, and I don't know, you, you've probably thought about this more than I have, but some of that is just the whole segmentation of, of society. Um, you know, we throw out these general categories, well, youth like this or younger people like this mm. kind of worship service. And you know, and we just get this idea that all of these groups are sort of homogenous. Like if right. we can get a rock band, all the young people in town are going to want to come here. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have people in this church. We have a we have a very traditional service and we have a what I would call baby boomer contemporary. I have a 23 year old daughter who thinks nothing about it as contemporary, sure. but we keep calling it our contemporary service. But what I find is there are young people in our church who like the traditional. There are a lot of young people in, in our church who like the more contemporary. There's a lot of them who would like more contemporary. It's just very hard to box people in. And I think... People refuse to be categories, categorized anymore. Well, they've they? been taught mm-hmm. not to be in categories. I mean, we have, we have 180, 200 cable TV channels. Sure. I mean, you know, when you and I grew up, there were three channels. Mm-hmm. And you watch, and you knew everybody in, in the United States of America was watching the Andy Griffith show. And so if you would throw out an allusion to Andy Griffith, everybody got what you meant. But now, you know, everybody has uh, very segmented tastes. And we we, what we're what we've taught people is, um, you know, we're here to cater to your tastes. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I have satellite radio in my car. I mean, I can get. I mean, I saw a thing the other day. There was a Billy Joel channel. Yeah. So I can listen to Billy Joel all day long. Right. Well, we, we're, we're, we're teaching people that, that that's good. And I, think, I listen to the Elvis channel on my way here. Well, there you go. So so if if it, it, as a church, if you there's two ways to think about it. I mean, we could offer 15 different channels of worship, of style, of discipleship. Right. I mean, we could try that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you have to ask yourself, is that contributing to 
what we don't want. Should we be a unifying force in some way? Mm-hmm. Should we find ways to integrate people? Uh, so it, it, it's a harder task to think through than it was That's when we were younger. That's part of the challenge and, and dilemma of our, of our time, isn't it? Oh, exactly. Uh, the, 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 well, I sometimes call it the era of distraction. You know, we have incredible distractions all the time. And a relationship means you have to have some sort of a focus, I believe. You have to have a you know, dedication to a relationship and the nature for our society being distraction kind of goes against that. Well, yes. And and you know, in in Zionsville, listen in America in general, but Zionsville is a fairly affluent community. It's one of the more affluent communities in Indianapolis. So you know, you can a lot of people can afford their distractions, and they they when they get tired of a distraction, they can afford another distraction. One the next one, right? And they never kind of have to hit the wall of thinking about okay, you, you know, because there's always another new toy, mm-hmm. and so you know it's it's when there's no more toys to be had, or you don't have you can't afford any no toys, or you don't have the the energy for new toys in your life. Um, that sometimes is a good place because God comes into those moments right and right. so i think the it, it the distraction and the ability to be distracted and the ability to afford your own distractions makes it hard that's interesting tell me about a time that you've seen an effective life transformation take place in your ministry here or something's happened here that's uh where's this kind of a yay god moment when something really cool happened wow boy there'd be there'd be so many of those um well, you know, we had a, um, we've had a couple people here who have run into, into struggles, uh, legal struggles. Um, uh, we, we, had one, we had one person who came to our church because they had, um, they had gotten involved with um, uh, threatening someone and they had a they had a they had a gun and I mean this was not a good thing and because of that they lost their job and they and, and it was, you know how the court system is it take, mm-hmm. takes a year and a half before this thing goes to trial and so here was a person who was really sort of struggling about uh, it, they did something that was maybe not in their nature or maybe they did something that was in their nature but they had you know had been denying that and all of a sudden went from being kind of a successful person to a person who um, you know was looking at time doing time in in prison okay which has subsequently happened and you know um, this person came and they were honest with me about that and we hooked them up with this this was this was a male and we hooked them up with a couple of people in our men's ministry and you know they absolutely uh, surrounded that person. They didn't uh, c- uh, condemn nor condone what what he did. Right? Um, they just accepted him. They invited him in. Uh, one of our small groups invited him in um, to their life, and you know they loved him. And uh, you know, like a lot of us, Brad, I heard someone say the other day, all of us are 30 seconds away from making a decision that will change our lives. <laughs> right. And so, yeah. so in, in that sense, I think they all realized that, you, you know, okay, it happened to him, but I mean, that could have been me on a bad day or something like that. Right. And you know, um, this, this guy grew um, tremendously. He, um, in the time he was with us for a year and a half, maybe, um, 
he he served in capacities in this church. Um, he he became a, a a regular in a group life. He he did s- the study of scripture. He helped with um, some of our kids stuff in in really important ways in volunteering. And so here's this person whose life really blossomed because the people who call themselves Christian surrounded him in the right way, right? And so um, unfortunately that person is away from us now um, because they're in prison. But you have some evidence of some life change there. Oh, it's incredible. And, you know, when the when when this person comes out, we'll be here. Yeah. So that's a terrific example. So that's right? an example also of, of a response to the, to the distractions we were talking about. It, it takes a commitment to push through some things and to focus on that one life there. Yes. It seems like if we can multiply that multiple times in an individual church and in our conference and beyond... Yeah, that's at least is an approach towards uh, transformation. Well, you know, Brad, you and I know life's messy, and because life's messy, ministry's messy, and so it causes a little mess in your schedule. It causes a little mess in your pocketbook. It just causes a little mess in your life to be to love people. Mm-hmm. And I think if we if we're opposed to that on principle, then the church is really no place for sure. us. Or if we find a church that's good with that, that's not a church that's going to make it in the future. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of the of the church as a whole, which is kind of what's your take of the state of the of the United Methodist Church right now, particularly here in Indiana? Well, that's that's a that's a really good question, uh, boy, and that can go a lot of ways. I think that um, I think that theologically, I think Methodism historically, a lot of things that were important for John Wesley are things that absolutely work, for lack of a better word, <laughs> today. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think the belief system is grounded but flexible, which I don't see uh, in a lot of places. Interesting and good way to put it, grounded but flexible. Um, I, like I think the uh, the emphasis on uh, small group life, which I still think is a very powerful, powerful thing, uh, which it has been for a long, long time. So I, I think in that sense, we're in a really good place uh, that way. As an institution, um, I, I, I guess I'm just not sure. Right. I think uh, obviously people don't get up every morning and think about, well, gee, do I want to go to some United Methodist Church? I I think there are still some of those people. But, you know, most of the people in my congregation here, they come because they like this community of believers. Right. Right. And I'm sure where you are, they like that community of believers. And so I think uh, to and, and I think that's okay. I think to over worry whether we're our brand is this way or that way is doesn't really seem that important to me mm-hmm. um, I think that um, I, I think the 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 jury is probably still out you know about how we'll do as a denomination in 20 years right I just I, I don't know um, I, I'm not worried about it but I I don't know how that will be. And I think as a, 
you know, as a conference of Indiana, if people are listening and they're part of the Indiana conference, you know, I think that the, the, the putting together of these two conferences, I think what the fruit of that is probably still some years out, not that anything has been done wrong, but, you know, to create a new culture takes a long, long time in the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we're not in a, you know, we're, we're not a corporation where one guy comes in and just waves the wand and says it's going to be different. And, I mean, you know, it's funny. I wish we did do it that way or we could, but, you know, sometimes companies can change in a year or two. Sure. Even big companies. Yeah. But I do think that... Um, we're, not always, we're not always quite as nimble in the church, are we? Yeah. I do think, though, that we have a lot of really quality young pastors, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's exciting. Uh, I know I serve now on the board of the residents and ministry group, okay. so we do the retreats, the RIM, the RIM, the residents and ministry. RIM takes people who have come out of seminary and they're in their first uh, their appointments and mm-hmm. they're so for three years they're part of this process on their way to ordination. So I get a chance to go to some of these retreats and touch base with some of these people and so I think in a way that's kind of exciting for me. I think a lot of our young people, a lot of our young pastors, I mean they they're doing the right things. They're thinking about things in the right ways. They're much yeah. less interested in their. Well, I, much less is an overstatement, but the, the the institution, the career part of it, is not the same for them as right. it was for I, us. I agree with you. That's been my, and it's certainly the depth of passion among some of them is really evident. So yes, that's a good thing. Do you think there's any implications? This this we're recording this in February of 2016, so jurisdictional conference and general conference are not too far away. Do you think there's any implications that are significant in the church as we look at having a new bishop at jurisdictional conference and certainly some of the big issues on the table at general conference? What are some of the implications here for a local church and for uh, right. clergy moving forward? Well, and, you know, maybe this is the, uh, I don't know who listens to our podcast, Brad, but um, I, I, I... Just I, you and me, babe. That's good. That's good to <laughs> well... You know, I have long felt, and I think I still do, that really who the bishop is is does is not it's it's probably a bigger it's a bigger deal to you and I than it is to anybody in our church. Mm-hmm. I mean the most important person in the United Methodist Church to people coming to church is the pastor. Yeah. And then perhaps uh, a superintendent, back when superintendents used to show up more often. And then a bishop was somewhere else. And I think for those of us who, I mean, I've been a district superintendent, so I've been on that side where we think, oh, well, you know, what the bishop says or what doesn't say, oh, that's that's really a big deal. And boy, that's, you know, everybody in the state ought to be paying attention. But I, I mean, I, I don't think that means that the bishop's job is unimportant by any stretch. It's, it's very important. But I think the... I think the changing of a bishop will cause some anxiety and some joy and some reverberations at a certain level, but I don't imagine in the pew. the vast majority of the clergy themselves, if at all, even among those folks, very little among the people in the pews, I would think. Yes. And I, and I even think for a lot of clergy, it's not. Yeah. I don't think I ever thought very much about did I have one bishop or another. And I, and I think we all think, you know, in the appointment system that like 
the bishop, well, I need to be very because the bishop's going to decide what I'm going to do. But, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of pastors. And so, in a sense, your superintendents become more critical in that link than mm-hmm. than who the bishop is. So I think I think in terms of Indiana, it's a change. I think um, we've had a, a we've had a, a, a solid bishop and uh, who who I think gets it. And I think his heart's been in the right place. Sure. And, and that's. First of all, that's worth everything. Um, I don't know who it'll be in the future, and I'm sure there'll be some adjustments, um, and and we'll weather those. But for most of the people in the pews, life will go on. They'll sure. never know that a change happened. In terms of the the general conference, I don't I don't know. I think for for really, I'm not a person who. Um, you know, I don't get in my car and go to general conferences. I showed up one day at one of them for a couple of hours. It's not been a um, – I don't think a lot about that for whatever reason. It's just my personality. Right. It's not It's not a lot of worry for me. However, um, I found myself after the last general conference in Tampa um, really – with a kind of heavy heart, you know, I just for the first time in my life, I thought, wow, you know, we're not ever going to I mean, we just couldn't do anything. It seemed like a malaise. It was a word. And so I think that's some of the concern that some folks have as we enter into the 2016 General Conference is are we still going to be stuck? And are are there some significant issues that are really going to somehow impact our local churches? Right. That most of the time we think of General Conference, at least from my perspective, it's like it's there and it's important, but it doesn't have a lot of direct impact on the local church. And yet... There, I think there was a little bit of concern this time that it might. Well, look, the way it impacts the local church is what will the news stories be coming out of That's right. conference? That's right. And so, you know, the primary one is going to be what's the um, what's going to be happening around the issue of homosexuality, or will anything be happening, or will you know, or will nothing be happening? And no, no matter what you, um, it's okay. No matter what you have to do with any of those, um, there'll be people rejoicing and there'll be people who are angry and strident. And but but what 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 happens in a local church is, um, you know, they're going to read the paper. They're going to hear about it, whether it's well reported or it's in context. You don't know. So as a pastor, that singular issue um, sadly is a driving issue right and it's probably enigmatic of deeper issues and of course it is about how do we view our scriptures how how do we think consider authoritative and not authoritative and so all of that is is this one issue is kind of like the the tip of a pyramid for a lot of things that are underneath it sure but i but i don't think those things that are underneath it are always on the mind of lots of lay people but i think i think that's probably for me the thing that i that i think well what's going to be happening around that issue so how many questions am i going to have to answer what do we have to field right and so i even think uh that hopefully we'll have a few discussions here at least a couple of good ones um before conference happens around that around that topic so that we'll get out in front of it a little bit yeah that'd be good because we have you know we're probably like a lot of churches listen we're we're on the edge of a of a major city in america we have people who sit in our church council who they don't even know what the issue is right i mean they work with people who are gay and 
they don't even see why it's a concern right. at any level. And then we have other people who sit in the council who think it's a very, very important thing. Right. And, you know, they get along really well with each other. You know how that is? It's funny. Sure. We, it doesn't keep us from doing our work on the local level. Mm-hmm. But somehow when it elevates to this place, it, it ends up in yeah. a side-taking issue. It can uh, certainly be something we have to deal with that, yes uh and it can be kind of like a, i don't know a, an open sore that we have to deal with if we have to somehow find a way to um, uh, relieve that pain yes um so i just think it's interesting how we all approach that um lynn i want to ask you just a couple more things what and one of them is this you've been in ministry for some time now probably over 30 years i'm guessing and You've seen a lot, you've done a lot, and you've uh, uh, had some achievements and some uh, setbacks in your career. But if you're speaking to uh, a young pastor, you mentioned the REM program, and maybe you've had this opportunity. If you're talking to a pastor or perhaps even a layperson who is uh, getting involved engaged, what is your word of advice or a word of encouragement to that person about what is the future moving forward in their relationship to God through the local church in the United Methodist Church in Indiana? What's a word that you would give that person? Well, I think I think a word I would give them is um, keep your eyes and your ears and your heart open to what God is doing in your church, not what God is not doing or mm-hmm. what you wish was happening. Mm-hmm. I think all of us, when we... Um, we go through periods, and certainly I know when I—I I shouldn't say all of us when we were younger, but when I was younger. Um, and part of it is just a personality type for me. You know, uh, it's easy for me to look at something, scan it, and say, well, here's the three things that are wrong. If we do these better, it would, mm-hmm. you know. And um, so, so because of that, I think a lot of us tend not to see what's going well. Mm-hmm. You know, because we're always like, okay, well, oh, oh, well, that's great that that's well, but why don't we then? And we're very quick to go there. And I just think that um, I, I think that it's important as we think about how do we create um, a vision for the church that we're in. Uh, how do we want to, you know, build the future? Well, we want to build the future that God has already put the foundation under. Mm. And I and I think as a pastor, I think it's it. It is just so much better for your own personal uh, well-being and your spiritual health to find the God moments. You know, you you say every once in a while, one of those yay God, mm. yay God yeah. things. Right. And I think that that is is very very important because I think then the, then the tenor of how we come to things is it's positive, right? And you know, when we wake up in the morning, we're not thinking about what isn't done. We're thinking about thankfully what is happening mm-hmm. and 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 most of us are there's a lot of things going on i mean i know uh in this congregation people say well we could do this better we could do this but i always tell people here let's get out a sheet of paper i can find i can find 25 times more than you can things to work on mm-hmm. you know i mean i'm the pastor i see all the things that are that are wrong but i think that to go there too quickly is a mistake Mm -hmm. and so i think more now i look around i get up every day i walk in i see the little things people do i see i see the people opening their wallet handing somebody a hundred dollars for something i see i mean churches are amazing places of grace sure yeah and i think if you start with that premise as a young pastor and 
and sort of let that lead you and let that be the basis for what you do, you'll be a lot better off. Be a place for grace. Be a place for grace. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Hey, there's one more thing. I know you to be a a guy who likes golf. I want to hear a good golf story. Something that you've done on the golf course or something that that just made you go crazy. Well, well, I mean, there's things that made me go crazy. I well. can't say can't say those here. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, on my on my shelf, which they can't see, but you can see over yeah, my shoulder, there is it. a bottle with some sand in it. I see it. And I um, I had a very good friend who was a pastor in this conference for many many years. His name was Dave Cummings, and Dave and I mm-hmm. went down to watch a practice round at the Masters. Oh wow! And uh, I see the Masters symbol on the bottle. There. Yes, yeah. And uh, the the thing they're very clear about when you come in is this is a place of uh, great etiquette and you know well mannered people and people who understand the game. And they made it very clear that you never you you know you never walk near the greens you never cross you don't jump over any ropes you don't you know otherwise you'll have to uh, they'll escort you off the grounds and all of that so anyway uh, of course we weren't there a half an hour then the first time that dave got a chance he jumped over rope and climbed down in one of the bunkers at uh, i think it was the seventh or eighth green oh my god and he filled up a bag with sand (laughs) and and he came running out of there and i was sure we were going to get thrown out and you know they never saw him and uh so um, he had that bottle for many years, and then he he uh, he retired and moved. And when he did, he came and brought me this bottle of sand. Wow. And so, um, so it's a great memory for me. It's probably not a crazy story, but well, it's, that's that's a great story. It's, that's it's a, a great story. story. I have this. Uh, what do I want to say? I have this contraband from Augusta, <laughs> from Augusta National on my. It has been there since 1987. It's wow. a, yeah, the sand is from 1987. Well, hopefully, no bouncer from uh, Georgia is going to come and track you down. So. I hope. Well, yeah. if they have, if they take me back to Augusta there you go. to arraign me. You could live with that. <laughs> I could live with that. Right. Well, it's been a pleasure having you uh, with us on the podcast today, uh, Glenn. And um, we wish you well in your continued ministry here at Zionsville. And uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. And bless you, old friend. Let's yeah. have good ministry together. Absolutely. We do thank Reverend Glenn Howe from the Zionsville United Methodist Church for being with us today on the Hoosier United Methodist Podcast with Dr. Brad Muller. Uh, Glenn certainly gave us some great insights on leadership in the church, especially about succession issues and about leadership development and about the importance of uh, management to go along with vision casting, the nuts and bolts of ministry. And, of course, he had some comments about what's going on in uh, the mission of our church right now here in Indiana, as well as talking about golf. You can't talk with Glenn Howell without talking about golf. So we thank him. And certainly any, any details about how you can be in touch with Glenn will be in our show. Show notes. You can catch our show notes and take a look at those at our website, which is HoosierUnitedMethodist.com. And you can also visit a library of past episodes of the podcast there. We would really appreciate it if you would also go to iTunes and look up the podcast there, Hoosier United Methodist Podcast. Go into the search field, look for us, and then subscribe, rate, and review. That helps other folks find the podcast and is helpful. If you have other folks you think one might be great guest for the podcast, please let us know. The details on how to contact me are in the show notes. 
I think that'll about do it for this episode of the Hoosier United Methodist Podcast. Thank you for lending me ears, your ears today. It's been a privilege and a pleasure. And we want you to know that the purpose of our podcast is to strengthen the connection in the United Methodist Church in Indiana. So until next time, keep making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Thank you for listening to the Hoosier United Methodist Podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. We challenge you to be an active listener by subscribing and becoming a vital member of the Hoosier United Methodist Podcast community. Visit us on the web at HoosierUnitedMethodist.com and chat with other members at Facebook.com slash Hoosier United Methodist. Until next time, continue to make disciples and transform the world.